0: Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Lamb Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 366. In today's episode, I want to talk about some new gear that I recently received to test out, some on loan and some that is my own. Now, I recently reached out to my contact at Fujifilm USA, Daniel Carpenter, and he was nice enough to send me the new Fujifilm XS20 camera And their new XF 8mm f3.5 lens as well. Now, if you remember, this camera and lens were announced back on May 25th, 2023, at the Fujifilm X Summit in Bangkok, Thailand. Now, the Fujifilm XS20 is Fuji's latest consumer level camera in the XS line and is quite a bit of an upgrade from the previous XS10 model which was released on October 15th of 2020. The new model sports the X-Trans 4 sensor but has the newer 5th generation processor that is found in the XH2, the XH2S as well as the Fujifilm XT5, which allows this camera to have the same advanced autofocus capabilities of those other bodies. Another change that Fujifilm made was to make the hand grip larger so it has better ergonomics and it also allows it to house the larger NPW 235 battery from the XT4 and Xt5 instead of the smaller NPW126s of its predecessor and coincidentally is the same battery that's in my XE4 X Pro 3 and the X100v. So this new camera can shoot more frames, per battery charge, which is always a good thing. Now, in addition to those changes, the XS20 also has a new dedicated vlog mode on its PSAM dial, which puts the camera into a vlogging mode, of course, and enables enhanced autofocus capabilities such as product showcase, which allows the camera to move from focused on on you to focused on something you hold up in front of the camera and then back to your face again when you lower the item back down. That can definitely come in handy if you're a one-man vlogger or YouTube channel such as I am. This also allows the advanced autofocus to have advanced tracking as well with this new fifth-generation processor, which gives the new camera abilities on par with other camera makers such as Canon, Sony, and Nikon. Now, the Fujifilm XS20 also has IBIS or in body image stabilization with seven stops of shake reduction to make your video and stills more clean and free of handshake. The camera also has 14 bit raw image capture at 6240 by 4160, as well as panorama capture, both vertical at 2160 by 9. 9- uh, 9600 and horizontal at 9600 by 1440. For those of you ho- who are video shooters, you now have 6.2k video and can add the optional FAN001 to help keep the camera cool when shooting lots of high resolution video. To make your photos and videos more to your taste, you also have 19 total film simulations to choose from. Now, for anyone interested in landscape, architecture, or astrophotography, Fujifilm released their new XF8mm f3.5 lens, which sports a weather-resistant design that is super compact and lightweight with internal focusing. The lens also has a dedicated aperture ring on the barrel, as many, but not all, Fujifilm lenses do. And that's something that myself and many Fujifilm shooters absolutely love about the majority of the Fujinon lenses is that physical aperture ring. Now, although this lens is not as fast as the Fujinon XF 8-16 2.8, it is also cheaper and lighter than that lens as well, so it won't break your wallet. The new lens sells for $800, where the XF8-16, I believe, sells for $1,600 or maybe $2,000. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I'm very excited to try out this new Fujifilm gear, and will be shooting with it over the next three weeks. Now, for my listeners who are more into video, I also recently acquired the new DJI Osmo Action 4 camera. This new edition of the Osmo Action sports a new larger 1 over 1.3-inch sensor to improve both video and stills quality, and it has 10-bit and D-Log M color performance as well. This upgraded camera also sports deep freeze resistance and has a longer-lasting 160-minute battery, as well as 4K 120p video. Like the previous Action 3, this model is also capable of native video in both vertical and horizontal modes using its magnetic quick-release mount system. If you love shooting underwater video, this model can handle being submerged up to 18 meters and also has their 360-degree horizon steady to keep your footage upright and looking level all the time similar to the GoPro Hero 11 Black with its built-in max lens mod. Now, the new image sensor is capable of 2.4, I think it's nanometers, pixel size, and a nice wide f2.8 aperture as well, so you can shoot in very low-light conditions without much in the way of issues. Now, my friend Susie Pratt of Gemini Connect recently compared the Action 4 to the Hero 11, and the Action 4 does have superior low-light performance compared to the GoPro model. As soon as this new camera was announced, I was excited, and I had been planning to get a second Osmo Action camera to go with my first one, and now I was able to get the Action 4, so I now have one of each, the Action 3 and the Action 4. Now, I have not had much time to use and test the action for myself yet, but that will also be coming over the next two to three weeks. And I'm planning to use it while we are up north for our Labor Day visit. Now, I'm going to take a short break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191, and you can email the show at liam at com. You can find the show notes and links at com, and you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now, back to the show. And we're back. So even though the new Action 4 camera is more capable than the previous Action 3, it's still not quite as good as the Hero 11. But DJI is making great strides in their advancements with their action cameras. And I can only assume that they will reach or overtake GoPro by the time the Action 5 or 6 release in the next couple of years. Unless, of course, GoPro makes some massive advancements on their own. Now, GoPro has been doing some innovating with their own action cameras, and the Hero 11 has a new larger sensor that allows it to shoot at 8 by 7 aspect ratio and their new HyperSmooth 5.0 stabilization. They've also released the new cold-weather Enduro battery. Now, additionally, the GoPro is now natively able to go to 33 feet without issues or need of an external housing for those of you that like to shoot underwater video. GoPro has also recently changed to using a folding finger mount on the bottom of their camera, so you don't need a housing in order to mount the cameras anymore and the fingers are even replaceable if they become damaged. They're attached to the bottom of the camera using a couple of Phillips screws. You just take the screws out, pull the broken fingers off, and you can attach a new pair. Now, one other new gear item that I wanted to mention is that a couple of weeks ago, I got a couple of the new Ice Fox action cameras made by a new competitor out of China. Now, these new entries to the action camera market are interesting with their design looking like it was almost completely ripped off from the DJI Osmo Action design. The IceFox cameras are considerably cheaper than the Osmo Action or the GoPro Hero line at only around $141 US, and they are capable of 5K video at 30 frames per second, and they're waterproof to 98 feet. But the video and image quality is subpar, and their iOS app is very lacking as well. The only other big complaint I have about the Icefox cameras is their mounting system is a screw-in one that is similar to the finger mounts of the other two cameras, but they put the screw-in mount right where it's in the way of the battery door, which is also located on the bottom of the camera instead of the side like the DJI and the Osmo, or the GoPro, I mean, excuse me. Now, I plan on doing some more testing with the IceFox cameras, but as of this point, I wouldn't use them for anything more than maybe B-roll footage. Now, one plus of the IceFox cameras is that they also include a lot of accessories with their camera, including their Wi-Fi remote controller, for working the camera from a distance, which is nice as GoPro charges you an extra $80 for their Wi-Fi remote control. Now, on a new personal note in my life, I finally decided to become a North Carolina notary public, as I had been one for many years in Georgia. Now, in North Carolina, you can charge more for the service at $10 per signature versus Georgia's two. But in North Carolina, you have to take a seven-hour college class and pass an exam to become a notary. And in Georgia, all you had to do is buy the Secretary of State's notary guidebook and apply, and you were a notary. Now, I also like the commission in North Carolina is five years versus four in Georgia. And I'm doing this because I enjoy doing notary work. And in my new home area here in Roxborough, North Carolina, in Person County, there aren't very many notary publics. Back in my home state of Pennsylvania, notaries are fairly common, and many people make a nice full-time living doing it especially given that notaries and PA are allowed to do DMB work including issuing license plates where they cannot in North Carolina or Georgia. Now here in Roxboro I have not seen any notary signs in front of people's homes like I would back in Pennsylvania. And the only notaries we have in town are at a couple of the banks and one car dealership. Now the problem is for some reason none of the banks, in Roxboro, are open past 4 p.m. on weekdays, and they're not open at all on Saturdays, which is odd to me. And the one-car dealership has a notary in-house only two or three days a week tops. So by becoming a notary public and doing it out of my home or as a mobile notary, I can offer my services to people that have to work weekdays until 5 p.m. or so, and I can accommodate them on weekends as well. Now, since I don't have a separate building I can use as a notary office, I plan to only be available by appointments for now so that Tina doesn't get annoyed at having people just show up to have notary work done at our house. Okay, so now that I've caught you up on the other things, both photography and non-photography related, let's go ahead and look at some photography news stories for this week. (laughs) large-format photographer considered underrated has finally been recognized. During her lifetime, Evelyn Hoffer was underrated in most photography circles, mainly because she was considered too commercial. But her incredible body of work that she left behind is challenging that notion. She is now getting posthumous exhibitions and a new book that was just released. She captured many intriguing and beautifully executed portraits of people from all around the world that cannot be ignored. Now, one of the reasons she was largely ignored is that she chose to do all of her image making with a large format 4x5 inch Lindhoff Technica view camera that required not only patience but engineer-like understanding to operate. Quote, she was always studying the light, Andreas Pauly, her former assistant and executor of her estate, told the New York Times in 2010. She had a little notebook and would write down when the light would be good, and then she would come back at that time. It was rare she set up a camera and did anything quickly. In the mid-1950s, Hoffer began working with the writer Mary McCarthy who commissioned her to illustrate the Stones of Florence. So begun a fruitful relationship that saw Hoffer travel across the world capturing the sites of New York, Ireland, London, and Italy. Despite her travel photos being seen by millions of people on the pages of magazines and in books, Hoffer, who died at age 87 in 2009, was not a prominent photographer during her lifetime. Now, my thoughts on this... I am always happy to hear of a great photographer getting the recognition they deserve, and Hoffer's work is no exception. Now, it is sad that she didn't get the recognition until after she had passed. Although her images appear in many magazines, she was never, quote, famous, even though her work is truly amazing, and she had a great understanding of light and composition. And reading about her reminded me of the story of Vivian Mayer. Now, if you don't already know, Vivian was a Liban nanny who dabbled in photography all of her life using an old Rolleiflex camera and just capturing whatever caught her eye. Vivian never shared her photography and often didn't even develop her own film. Vivian died in 2009 as a totally unknown photographer. But in 2007, a man named John Maloof purchased a Chicago storage unit and stumbled upon some of her negatives, and he developed them and scanned them into digital format and started posting them to the internet. Now, this kicked off a slew of news stories and a Kickstarter campaign, which Maloof used the money to create a fantastic documentary film about Vivian that was released in 2013. And if you've not already seen this film, Finding Vivian Mayer is a film I highly recommend you check out as soon as possible. Now, as far as I know, you can still find it on Netflix and you can also buy it in iTunes. And it's a very, very touching story. Kodak says it will make film as long as there is demand. Eastman Kodak will continue to manufacture a film as long as there is demand for it, the company's executive chairman said on a conference call to shareholders this past week. As reported by Cosmophoto, Eastman Kodak CEO Jim. Kotinzia, uh, reaffirmed the company's commitment to analog format. Quote, we recently renewed our supply agreement for film with our long-term customer, Kodak Alaris, in a deal that will run through 2028. We are committed to manufacturing film as long as there is demand from the filmmakers and photographers worldwide, he says. In addition, we continue to see growing demand in our still and motion picture film business. A great example of the ongoing relevance of film as an artistic medium is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer film, which was shot on Kodak large-format film stock, including both color film and a 65-millimeter black-and-white film created by Kodak specifically for the movie. Of note, the United Kingdom's Pension Protection Fund was seeking a buyer for Kodak Alaris earlier this year. It does not appear as though one has been found. Still, that doesn't appear to be affecting Eastman Kodak's plans, and the reference to Oppenheimer is perhaps the biggest bit of publicity the brand has experienced in several years, positive publicity especially. Now, as PitaPixel reported in July, Kodak specifically manufactured the black and white 70 millimeter film for Christopher Nolan's blockbuster biopic to be used with IMAX and Panavision system film cameras. Just one film reel weighs 600 pounds and is more than 11 miles long. Eastman Kodak's affirmation isn't just in the production of high-end film, though. The company will also continue to manufacture consumer-facing film as well, as long as demand remains high. Now, considering that analog photography has experienced a massive resurgence in popularity, and Kodak Kodak needed to hire more technicians in order to keep up, And that demand doesn't seem to be waning at all. Hearing that Eastman Kodak is going to continue to support a thriving business might seem like a duh moment, but businesses don't necessarily respond to popularity with continued financial support. Businesses regularly pull the plug on segments where there is still demand. Just look at how Amazon treated DP Review. Even in Kodak's exact same business, there are doubts. Fujifilm has been discontinuing film stocks for years now, following a vision from its CEO who would rather place emphasis on pharmaceuticals. Quote, "...healthcare and semiconductor materials will be our future earnings drivers," uh, Tichi Goto, Fujifilm's CEO, said in 2021 after the company closed four United States-based photography equipment plants. Now, my thoughts on all of this, I think that it's great that Eastman Kodak is going to continue to make film stocks for photography, especially with the massive uptick in people shooting film today and its increasing popularity. Kodak also still makes photo paper as well that can be found in retail stores. And although their printers are only available used on eBay, they do still make the inks for them as well. Now, it's sad to see that one of the former giants in the photo industry become a small footnote these days, but since Kodak didn't embrace digital photography and cameras when the market was going that way, well, I guess they removed themselves from the camera market. But given that Fujifilm keeps discontinuing their film stocks in favor of pharmaceuticals, it is good that Eastman Kodak will continue to make film stock for the time being and that they also still support the motion picture industry with custom-made film stocks as well. Now, if Fujifilm reaches the point where they bow out of the film stock business altogether, then I guess Eastman Kodak could basically take over that market and continue on for the foreseeable future in that particular space. But I guess only time will tell. Now, if the continued trend to popularity in film photography continues on for a few more decades to come, then Eastman Kodak will be in a good position in the market. Now, on a personal note, as you know, I started photography many moons ago in the film era. And although at one time I enjoyed shooting film, I got past that when digital became the industry standard and then mirrorless. Since I started in the film era, I tend to be more slow and methodical in my photography than many who grew up on and started their careers in digital only. And I highly recommend that you try film photography at least a little bit to get a better understanding of photography as a whole and to learn to slow yourself down and really think about your composition and the final image before you ever press the shutter button. Although film stock and development is a bit more expensive today, the good news is many nice film cameras can be had for a song, so to speak, especially if you shop in antique stores for them. Now, I know that film cameras have started going up in price as well, but there are still deals out there if you know where to look. And when you're done with your film experience, you can always sell the camera again for possibly more money than you paid for it or keep it and add it to your collection as I do. My personal collection of film cameras I bought or had given to me over the years is probably easily what would have been at one time $150,000 to $200,000 worth of film gear. And even with the ones I bought, I probably have less than $2,000 in actual money spent on my entire collection. All right, that's it for episode 366 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast, If you're not currently a subscriber, why not? It's absolutely free. It doesn't cost you a thing, but a second of your time to hit that subscribe button for the show. And you could share it out on social media with your friends and family and encourage them to give it a listen as well. I'd greatly appreciate it. Now, also remember to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, and turn on all notifications so you can be notified when new videos release. Be sure to watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media as well. And you definitely want the notifications turned on because I will be starting my next giveaway in September or October. I haven't decided exactly when I'm going to start it yet, but if you're subscribed and you get notifications for both this show and my YouTube channel, then you can find out exactly when the new contest starts and make sure that you get your entries in for your chance to win. All right. That's going to wrap up this one, folks. I will see you again next week.